Let's turn to Luke chapter 23. That was a beautiful song. Amen. Appreciate all the music tonight and the time of worship around the Lord's Supper. Wouldn't miss it for anything. And uh, I believe it's the highlight of the month to take the Lord's Supper uh, and do it in remembrance of Him because it's just going back to Calvary. The Lord set you free. Where would you be tonight if you hadn't got saved? Uh, no telling where you'd be. You'd probably be laid up somewhere doing nothing important, uh, watching golf tournament or watching sports or, or uh, sleeping in and really not worshiping the living God with God's people and such a wonderful, wonderful song service and good Lord's Supper. I want to preach just a few minutes. I always wanted to try to do that on um, the seven sayings of the cross of Christ. I believe last words are very important. I'll never forget when uh, my daddy passed away down in um, the Cab General Hospital. I wanted to get there and hear his last words. And when I got there, a few minutes after he died, I asked those nurses, what did he say? And they said, well, he wanted to hear Amazing Grace. We sung it to him, and he wanted to hear Psalms 23. So maybe Psalms 23 was his last words. I don't know. The last words are important. Last words are very important. Um, I believe that uh, we need to look at the character and the love and the passion of Calvary through not just all the suffering and not all the spectators, but the words, the words of our Lord. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, if you'll stand in honor of the Word of God. Luke 23, verse 34, and I'm just going to take five minutes on each one of these sayings. That'll be 35 minutes. It's 6.37, now you'll be in your meeting by 10 after, you'll be at the restaurant by 7.35, and you'll have your night all planned out. But if God moves in, we might be here longer than that, who knows, but uh, I just thank God for God's presence. What a prayer meeting this afternoon, I tell you what, we needed that. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says, then said Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derived him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offered him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And verse 38 says, And a superscription was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, and this is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that we are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we see the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And he, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, twelve to three. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. 
And now when the centurion saw what was done and what he heard too, I, I imagine, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for your voice. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you gave us breath to pass across our vocal cords and that breath uh, turns into words when we speak. And Lord, we must be careful of what we say. But Lord, every word and every uh, expression that you made was on purpose, and it was for a reason. So Lord, help us as we think about what you said in your last moments on this earth. May it stir us, may it uh, help us, encourage us, uh, Lord, that you're, pray you're still praying for us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 34, the first saying was he was praying for others. I call this the prayer of pardon. The prayer of pardon. That's what Calvary's all about. The Bible says in verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now folks, Jesus is going through hell by the acre. And I don't mean that as a, a cute expression, but he is suffering your hell and your sin debt for you, and what, what is on his mind, or who is on your, his mind, is you and me and all those heathen worshipers that thought they were right with God, that were wagging their heads and blaspheming their very own Messiah. And he said, Father, forgive them. And you know, the Bible says the word said is in the uh, perfect uh, tense in that he kept on saying it. Not knowing, he just said, Father, forgive He kept on saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. The priority of his petition is the priority of his prayer. Forgiveness. Aren't you glad that Jesus forgives? And if you're right with God, you forgive. And you don't hold a grudge. But then I see not only the persistence and the priority, but I see the passion of this petition. Folks, it was by grace that he was there. It's grace manifested in his being. And folks, he's praying not to, for vengeance and not for revenge and not to get even like some of us would, but he prays with passion because God commended his love towards us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then I see the peril in his petition. He said they know not what they do. Spiritual ignorance is no excuse. But I want to you, friend, they had no excuse. They saw the miracles, they heard the words, and they still rejected Him. And then, I like this thought, is that the product of this petition, I believe this prayer was answered. I believe at Pentecost was the first answer. 3,000 people got saved. And folks, I'm going to tell you, while they got saved, Peter became a, from a coward to a courageous, spirit-filled preacher, and he preached Calvary. And he says, you've nailed him to the cross. And folks, he said, he, he, and he also said in his message, you don't know what you're doing. And they probably remembered that prayer of, of God in flesh, Jesus Christ, passionately praying for them to be forgiven. And thank God when they heard the message, they got saved. And not only those 3,000 got saved, but thousands have been saved and forgiven since then. Number two, uh, utterance is found in verse 43. The Bible says, 
that uh, Jesus looked unto him, who? The thief on the cross. And he said, Verily, listen now, I say unto thee, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. What a promise. This repentant thief got saved. You know what is amazing about this conversion? Is that God set up an amazing situation. Who is he dying next to? Jesus Christ. He could have been crucified as 30,000 were crucified when Roman, Rome took over Jerusalem, as I preached on this morning. And that's why he wept while he was on that donkey's back. But folks, I want to tell you something. This thief was dying in the right place. He was dying next to grace. One thief could care less, and all he thought about was now. But this thief knew uh, not much about him, but enough that he'd saved others, that he had a kingdom, and he knew he was a Savior, and he called on him with a repentant heart, and he had amazing supplication as well as amazing situation. He prayed, and he asked God to save him. And what I love about this saying is he said, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. That's amazing salvation. Folks, it's all by grace. Amen? He couldn't earn it. Hey, Church of Christ, he, couldn't get, he didn't get off that cross and get baptized. He didn't take a wafer and think it became Jesus' body in some Catholic church. He didn't, uh, he didn't keep uh, the Ten Commandments. He probably broke every one of them. But I want to tell you something, friend. He got saved because of grace. Holy by grace. All by grace. Verily I say unto thee, today shall thou be with me in paradise. To be with him, be with God, is grace. And folks, I want you to know that's what Calvary is all about. Then it was certain and secure salvation because it was verily I say unto you. You can take God's word on it. When he says you get saved, if you, t- if you come to him and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and you pray and ask the Lord to come in your life with a repentant heart, he'll save you. And it's all centered in Christ. He didn't look to his buddy. He didn't look to those, that crowd down the road. And he sure didn't look to those wagon uh, blaspheming religionists. He looked to Jesus. And folks, the only way you can get saved is through Jesus. And then it's a glorious salvation. The Bible says in paradise. Now, last time I checked, everybody thinks that um, Disney World's paradise. So my kids think it's paradise. Um, my grandkids, my kids outgrew it, I hope. Um, they think it's paradise. The folk, uh, going to Hawaii, we think that's paradise. That was a, that was a nice trip and a beautiful place. I like the hills of North Georgia better than I do any place. But some people think this is paradise after being in the flat lands of Natville in South Georgia. This is glorious. But I want to tell you something, there's nothing more glorious than being in God's presence and being in heaven. The third utterance was an utterance of provision. Look to John chapter 19. I'll get back to this third utterance in this text, which is the last thing he said. But look at the third utterance, or the third thing that he said. And and that's found in John chapter 19, a wonderful chapter. I almost preached that whole chapter tonight. And the Lord led me to preach these thoughts on the sayings of the cross as we enter this Passion Week. But in John chapter 19, verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then said he to his disciples, to the disciple, John, Behold thy mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. <laughs> Folks, listen to this. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said something else we'll get to in just a minute. But I see a selflessness prayer. I see a prayer of, uh, that he's caring for his mother. And he, and he sees the suffering that the, the sword is piercing his mother's heart. He sees her brokenheartedness. And he calls her woman. And folks, nobody should call their mama woman except God. I don't think you ought to call your mama old lady or uh, some slang term. You ought to respect your mama. Say amen. And daddies, you ought to supervise that very, very closely. But folks, I see the sovereignty of God. Mary's not the intercessor and she's not the mother of God. She was the vessel that brought Jesus into this world. She's not to be worshipped. And she's definitely not to be prayed to. And I believe that the Lord just knew that there'd be some cults, excuse me, some religion that grow up uh, after him and probably fight and persecute and, 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 uh, and in the dark ages kill and, and, and put in prison those that believed in him. So he just put Mary in her place very kindly, but very strictly, and said, hey, listen, woman, behold your son. And John, behold your mother. But I believe also this is a cry of support. I believe that we need to realize that the home is precious. And God sets a priority on the cross. Well, all the dying's going on and all the savings going on, all the grace is being stowed. He looks and calls his mother into care and says, hey, you take care of her. And folks, I believe that is a priority in our, in our Christian life. We ought to take care of each other especially our family. And then I see not only in this cry of um, woman, behold thy son, but I see also service. Because John was called into service. And John was called to take care and bring Mary into his home. And that was a big job. And I don't, I don't no offense to Mary, but any, any, anybody you bring into your home and bring in your life, it takes grace. And so folks, we ought to respect our parents. We ought to honor our father and our mother. And Jesus made that a, 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 a priority on the cross as he proclaimed his sovereignty and proclaimed Mary's place, but also that, hey, take care of my mother. Then I want you to see, fourthly, the cry of perplexity. And this is one of the most powerful, powerful cries from the cross. Look at Matthew chapter 27. In verse 46, Matthew 27, verse 46, real quick. I'm doing pretty good so far if I don't get hung up on one of them. All God's people's praying. But Matthew chapter 27, and verse 46, the Bible says this. And about the ninth hour, excuse me, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. If you look at Psalms 22, you'll find out what was going on in those dark hours between 12 and 3. All the demons of hell was bombarding Jesus' soul, according to Psalms 22. And I mean, there was a battle to get him off that cross, but he would not come down. And folks, he would not do anything but finish his course and keep the faith and uh, be faithful to you as, as a Savior. But about the ninth hour... The Bible says in about the ninth hour, 
Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lamba sabastana. And that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was three o'clock in the afternoon. It was dark. The sun refused to shine, and I imagine the birds refused to sing. It was a sad time. And it was even sad for Jesus because he felt the distance between him and God. Now, don't, don't expect me to explain how the Trinity could feel distance with each other. But folks, in his humanity, dying on the cross, he felt the loneliness of the darkness of separation from God. And I want to tell you what causes that, sin. If you ever feel distant from God, he didn't move, you did. And folks, sin is to blame. Sin will bring darkness and gloom and despair to anybody's heart. And folks, you'll feel alone because of sin. His hand's not short that he cannot save, but our sins have separated us from God, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 1. But in Psalms 22, if you'll turn back to there just for a few minutes, I want you to see this, and if I get hung up on one uh, of the sayings, it'll be this one, because this is so, so wonderful, to see the spiritual suffering of the cross of Calvary. My sins weighed much more than the old rugged cross. My sins hurt more than those, those cat of nine tails that ripped his, his uh, body open. My sins uh, hurt him worse than the spear that pierced his side or those long thorns that pierced his skull and them, and them ripping his beard off and spitting in his face. My sins and your sins hurt worse than that. Look at it. It's Psalms 22 and... Uh, you got your Bibles, look at it now. And the Bible says in Psalms 22, and, and it's, it's a prophetic um, chapter, but some thousands of years before, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And so, folks, he quotes almost Psalms 22, verse 1, and he's suffering and in that ninth hour, that darkness coming over him, he's suffering, being separated because of sin, and all of Satan's devils bombarding his soul. Look at verse 6, Psalms 22. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of people. A reproach of men. Sin will bring up reproach upon your soul. And look at verse 7. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. That's like... Poochie, poochie mouth disease, amen? And they shake their heads, saying, He trusteth on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighteth in him. And folks, I'm sure that crowd was saying in that dark hours, Where's God now, Jesus? Where's your God now? And folks, He's feeling the pain and agony of being separated. And He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We're going down to verse 14 to save time. He says, I poured, out my, I poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. Didn't say they were broken. And it says, and the heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Folks, if that's not a prophetic description of the cross, I don't know one. Look at verse 18. They parted my garments among them. Cast lots upon my vesture. But folks, it goes on to say the bulls of Basham it was bombarding him, his soul. And folks, we see the suffering 
in this, in this cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And folks, I see the agonizing cry. And I see the substitution in these words. The reason he was forsaken so you'd never be forsaken. He stood that you might stand. I can't get over that choir special choir that was wonderful. And he that knew no sin became sin for you, that you might be made the righteous of God in him. It's a divine substitution. And folks, I see the, the steadfastness in this message. He said, my God, my God. If you'd been going through what Jesus is going through, you might not have been saying, my God. You might have been cursing God. You might have been shaking your fist at God. You might have got mad at God like some humans do. But folks, he was saying, hey, listen, I still trust in your plan. I still trust in your power. I don't understand why I'm so lonely. I don't understand why I'm hurting so much. But I know it's for them. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then I see, fifthly, I see the, um, the cry of parchedness. In verse, chapter 19 of John, and in verse 28, please. John chapter 19, verse 28. Uh, in this powerful chapter describing, if you, were, if you ever want to just look at Calvary, go to John chapter 19, read the whole chapter. In John chapter 19 and, and verse 28, the Bible says this, and the whole crowd around misunderstood him. They started trying to give him some opiates. But look at this, in verse 28, the Bible says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, here's what he said, I thirst, I thirst. And now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and a filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop. And there's that hyssop showing up. And he put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. I want you to see, folks, the parchedness, the thirst. What was he thirsting about? It was an outcry that sin was causing the emptiness. The sin was parching his soul. And then the damnation of sin, the absence of God, brings the agony of God. We ought to long like a deer panted after the water brook for Jesus. There ought to be a, a desire for God. And there's also a forecast of hell. The rich man, uh, in verse 24 of Luke 16, sent Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Folks, I see the opiate in the next verses trying to uh, uh, help Jesus with their worldly, clueless remedy for thirst. But I'll tell you something, there's no remedy for the thirst except the living water. And folks, you'll be thirsty the rest of your life in hell if you don't get saved. And you'll be thirsty in this life because you'll not have, you'll not have that satisfaction and that quenching of that a need in your life for significance and security and love. And then others will go thirsty because the Bible says that He'll give you rivers of living water that will overflow. And that's the fullness of the Spirit of God. And so folks, He was saying all that, that I thirst because He was, he was uh, being thirsty that you'd not thirst and never thirst. Sixthly, the sixth time He is found in verse 30, He said, it is finished. And that's a proclamation of victory. The scripture was fulfilled. The suffering was fulfilled. But folks, most important of all, the plan of salvation was fulfilled. He didn't say, it, he didn't say I was finished. He said it is finished. And folks, I want you to know that, 
um, Jesus Christ finished the work. He paid it in full. There's nothing more to do, and it's an insult to God to try to climb a ladder to heaven when the blood of Jesus is the only way to heaven. And the great suffering of Christ was physical and spiritual, but it also was very, very emotional in regards to the spiritual suffering. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, I've got to take time to read this. I want you to look at verse 11 through 14, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. I always have a hard time finding Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. The Bible says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, and from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Folks, one offering, only one offering, that offering is the Lord Jesus Christ offering his soul to Jesus. And then folks, in this saying, Satan is defeated. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. The Bible says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. And through the death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Folks, I'm telling you, the devil was defeated at Calvary. And so when he said it was finished, he was really saying also, devil, you're finished. And he don't, he don't believe that. He's still a con artist and he still tries to discourage you and still tries to detour you and destroy you and depress you. But folks, he's a, he's a defeated foe. And so the sayings of this cross is this, it is finished. Paid in full. Victory was won at Calvary. But also I see something else in this, this saying it is finished. I believe service is pictured here. The Lord finished His work. He was the servant of all service. John chapter 17, verse 4. John 17, verse 4. Uh, he said right before He died, praying in the garden. This is the real Lord's prayer. He said, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to finish right. I want to keep the faith. I don't want to be a has-been or was-been. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. I think about Brother Wallace often. On the Thursday morning, he died. On Wednesday night, he was here. He could not usher because he was so weak, but he appointed somebody to take his place and said, you go back there and take my place, son, and be the usher. I'm going to sit here and enjoy the service the next morning. He was really enjoying the service. He was with Jesus in heaven. Folks, I want to finish right, don't you? I realized this, and I was thinking about it right before I got up. I said, you know, one day it'll be my last sermon here. One day I'll be, it'll be my last time to preach. I remember one Sunday night, uh, my preacher was preaching on uh, old soldiers don't die, they just fade away or something. And he preached on 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. He baptized me that night after the service. I was just 11 and a half years old, and uh, he said, and he, and he kept preaching, saying, this, is gonna be my la this might be my last sermon, and I want to finish right, and I want to I keep baptizing people, and we're excited about baptizing this young man that got saved uh, last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, and he was all excited and fired up, and he preached on, old soldiers ought to be faithful. 
Next Monday morning, we got a call about 7.30 and at 6 a.m. Monday morning, he had a massive heart attack and he died. And I was, his la- I was the last person he baptized. And I want to tell you something, James P. McDonald finished right. He's my hero. He was preaching the night I got saved on hell. And thank God he baptized me the last Sunday night he was alive on this earth. Not that I'm anything special, but the sermon I'll never forget. I got a copy of it somewhere if I could just find it was on old soldiers, I should be faithful to the end. Finish right. Jesus said, it is finished. (laughs) Amen. And he finished right because he completed all that was necessary for your salvation. Last but not least, right on schedule. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, back to our text. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. I want you to look at it. Chapter 23, verse 46. I heard today that they rescheduled the the, uh, masters and they opened the gates at 5 o'clock. And I just saw just a little glimpse of it this afternoon. And there was thousands of people walking all over this hot terrain following these golfers. And I thought, man alive, I wonder how many people are in church in Augusta. I think all of Augusta, maybe it was the whole world came to watch a golf tournament on Sunday morning. I'm glad I was in church, amen? I don't think there's anything more important because I'm going to tell you what, I am indebted to Christ for saving my soul, redeeming me, and there ain't no person on this earth that's ever redeemed me or can redeem me. I owe my allegiance to God. I owe my allegiance to Calvary. I owe my allegiance to come and take the Lord's Supper. And I want to tell you something, friend. I see a wonderful parting. And Luke chapter 23, verse 46, the Bible says this, and we'll close. It says that he said, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, notice that power that came back to him. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Another passage says that he yielded the ghost. He yielded up. Matthew 27, 50, he yielded. You know what that tells me? He's still in control. Amen. Nobody took his life, John chapter 10. He gave his life. He offered his life. God's still in control. When everything falls apart, there's darkness, and everything seems hopeless, God has a plan. And that plan is the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Let me just give you these verses in closing. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm enjoying the study of 2 Peter in Sunday school. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to look at 18 and 19. You all know that, but there's something you probably hadn't noticed lately, and I want to give it to you. 1 Peter and chapter uh, 1, verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, you were not, were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your way of life received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, and without spot. And all God's people said, Amen. But notice the next verse. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. It's God's plan. There's no plan B. It's plan A through Z that you must be born again. And the only way that you can go into the presence of God is that Jesus took your place. I see the character in this saying. You know, you can, you can tell a lot about a person on what's on his mind when he's dying. Amen? 
The last sayings of Jesus at Calvary really shows how wonderful His character was. The last thing men say before they die often reveals what's really in their heart. Uh, I want to give you a couple of them. Thomas Hobbes, said, the atheist, said on his deathbed that he was about to take a leap into dark. Thomas Paine, another adamant unbeliever, said at the time of his death, if ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Voltaire, one of the most famous of atheists, said on his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. But he, did, he wasn't abandoned by God and man. He abandoned God. And so he died a very horrible death. But on the other hand, uh, some godly missionaries said on their last breath, Adoram Judson said this on his deathbed, I go with gladness of a boy bounding away from school, getting out of school. And I feel so strong in Christ. That was his last words. David Brainerd, he only lived to be 33. Uh, maybe, maybe he was 35. He burned himself out trying to reach the Indians of America. And he said on his deathbed, I'm going into eternity. And it's sweet for me to think of eternity. Jesus died praying to God, believing in God, and honoring God. And that's the way we ought to die. But the only way you can die Believe in God and honoring God is to live that way. The greatest way to honor God in your death is to honor Him with your life. And realize that one day you're going to face Him. And, he's, and, you're, going to, and you're going to yield up the ghost, the Bible says. And you're going to be in His presence all because He took your place at Calvary. Let's pray. Father, use this message. Thank you, dear God, for the few minutes we've had to probably preach on one of the most significant subjects in the Bible, what you said at Calvary, and how you felt at Calvary. Lord, thank you for sharing your heart and saying these things on Calvary, that we could read them tonight, and Lord, we could be blessed, we can be challenged, we can be brought under conviction, that we need to finish right. We need to be faithful as you're faithful. Lord, it wasn't convenient, it wasn't easy, it wasn't comfortable at all to go to Calvary. But you did it for me. And Lord, we ought to be sometimes uncomfortable for you. And we ought to be disciplined. And God, we ought to be delighting in our worship, in our praise, in our honor to, the, to thee. Because Lord, one day, we're going to commend our spirit unto you. You're going to take us up and be in your presence. We're going to live forever and ever and ever in the happiest, most blessed place in the world, out of this world, heaven, all because you took our hell. So thank you, Lord, and help us, dear God, 